Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. It is the most amazing science you will hear all week or all month, depending on how often you listen to our show. I don't know. Um, If you listen to us every day via podcast, maybe this is the best you'll hear all day. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to control what you're doing, really, uh, or your experience. But I just know this is going to be really good. I hope. Uh, joining me, um, as usual, is Stu. Stu, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Can't complain. Um, don't intend to complain. What have you got to present for us today, Stu? Well, you know, uh, summer has come to an end, but um, we did have a relatively wet summer, and that means, well, it means a lot of things, but one of the things that it does tend to bring about is an explosion of mosquito populations and I'm going to be talking a little bit about some research uh, into mosquitoes and um, basically trying to figure out why some people get bitten by mosquitoes and other people seem to be ignored. Uh, it, it's a very, oh. It's a very unfair system that the mozzies seem to have but uh, you know some people some people do seem to be a magnet for mosquitoes and others not so and there is a bit of research that I have found which may go some way to explaining why that is. Wow fantastic well I look forward to getting all the buzz on that particular topic. Well me I have potentially a huge story let's just say um you're aware of superconductors, of course, Stu? Yeah, yeah, the guys who stand at the front of the orchestra and make sure they all play in time with each other. No, 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 no. They're materials that have zero electrical resistance. Ah, superconductors, yes. Superconductors, yes. Um, there has been a recently released um, research about a superconductor that basically works at room temperature. Um, does require pressures a lot higher than normal room pressure, shall we say, but it is, yeah, look, it is potentially a huge breakthrough. Um, that's if it's real. There is a lot of (laughs) skepticism about this in the scientific community and no one knows for certain what to think. Um, so yeah, look, no, it, it is like, this is kind of one of those, I suppose, earth-changing technologies like um, superconductors that work at normal conditions, everyday conditions, would change the world, I suppose. Um, would certainly make technology a lot easier, a lot of technologies a lot easier um, and reduce loss of energy, that sort of thing. But like I said, it depends on whether this is real and there is uh, some reason for doubt. So yeah, I am going to be looking at this um, this big study and yeah, I suppose weighing it up and seeing what we can conclude. Cool. So uh, yeah, look, that's that, I guess. Uh, 
Stay tuned for that and for more mozzies um, in our posse on mozzies, shall we say. (laughs) On with the show. Now, Chris, do you get bitten by mosquitoes? Uh, look, I do, Stu, um, but yeah, I don't think as much as some people. Mm. I, I went with a friend of mine to uh, far north Queensland some years ago and we went hiking and we were sleeping in hammocks because it was really hot in far north Queensland and it was more comfortable to sleep in a hammock than, than put up a tent. Um, and every morning he would wake up just covered in mozzie bites and I did not get bitten at all. Yeah. Um, can I just, sorry, can I just say, uh, apologize to any listeners out there. There is a, a dog barking next door to where I am and speaking at the moment. So if you can hear a dog in the background, that's on my end. Um, but yes, yeah, do look, I, I don't, I can't quite relate to, to that experience directly, except that as you know, I have twin two-year-olds. Yeah. Uh, boy and a girl, so not identical. And our son, he gets his same sort of thing. When there are mozzies around, he gets covered in bites in the morning. And our daughter, it just seems to be completely unharmed. And they are obviously closely related uh, and very different experience with mosquitoes, which is very strange to see. It is It is very strange. And, and I don't have an explanation for my good fortune and certainly... Um, my friend didn't have any serious repercussions from his, uh, from his ordeal with mosquitoes other than just, you know, itchiness, which is annoying in itself. Um, but mosquitoes are a serious global health problem. There's over 700 million cases of mosquito-borne diseases every year, and there's 750,000 deaths annually from illnesses like malaria and dengue fever and West Nile viruses, uh, which, which are carried by mosquitoes. Um, there are about 3,500 species of mosquito on Earth, um, but only about 100 of them cause health problems for humans. So... You know, a, a lot of the a lot of the mosquito species are not even bloodsuckers. A lot of them feed on nectar, and they they're not a, an issue at all. But these hundred species that cause all of the problems for us are, you know, among the biggest killers in the world. Um, but why some people get bitten more than others uh, has been something of a mystery. Um, and recently, some scientists from John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine think they may have worked out part of that puzzle. Um, now, it's been known for, you know, some time since, since people started looking at mosquitoes that mosquitoes can detect variations in heat, uh, they can detect variations in humidity, and they can also detect carbon dioxide and, and carbon dioxide levels. Um, and they use different kinds of receptors in their antennae. Um, but they can also detect differences in odour. So they can actually smell different odours. And this is, this is probably how they can sense the difference between humans and other animals. So, you know, the, the insects that bite us don't necessarily feed on other animals either. Um, but some of them do, but not all of them do. Um, now, mosquitoes sense 
smells with their antennae. And while only female uh, mosquitoes bite humans, males are also apparently attracted to human smells. So they hang around, uh, but they don't bite us. Um, So they they can, you know, make that whiny, annoying mosquito sound, but they're not actually going to bite you, which is, you know, probably better safe than sorry if you if you hear that sound probably just slap them anyway um so are are you suggesting now the fact that they can mosquitoes can sense human odors that then that is that causes the difference between people is we smell different well this is this is the thing that so the the researchers looked at uh the um the mosquito's antennae, and they use a process called whole mount in situ hybridization, which is basically they use uh, a, a, um, a, an RNA tag, so an anti-sense RNA tag, which basically it allows them to light up the areas where the RNA is that shows them where the odor-sensing parts of those cells are located in the antennae. And... So they could visualize these receptors and they're called ionotropic receptors. So ionotropic means they react to ions. So different chemicals mm. will trigger these receptors to go off. And they react to various chemicals and those chemicals trigger the receptors and that influences the behavior of the mosquitoes by telling them which humans are the tastiest or most delicious ones to feed on. Um, but so before they did this uh, research, they had thought that there would be receptors all through the antenna. So they just thought they'd be, you know, evenly distributed through the antenna. What they found, that they're actually concentrated at the base of the antenna and at the tip of the antenna. And they also think that the different parts of the antenna d- d- detect different chemicals so they're actually picking up different odors depending on which part of the antenna the the receptors are in Um, and they think that various combinations of acids that human skin produces is what attracts the mosquitoes to some people and that the natural variation in the production of these acids is why some people get bitten a lot and others don't get bitten hardly at all, basically. Um, they also, you know, by, by looking at this, uh, you know, investigating antennae of mosquitoes in a lot more detail than anyone has done before, they realised they're actually very, very complex and not at all simple. So they sort of put, oh, yeah, it's just a simple way that they detect smells and things like that. No, 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 it's actually very, very complex and... They are very complex sensory organs. Um, and they also think that there may be a lot more variation between different species of mosquitoes in how they detect uh, the smells of different sort of food sources as well. Um, so the whole kind of point of doing this is, as I said, this you know it, it's a huge health problem. Um, they are hoping that their new understanding of the way mosquitoes sense odors on people will may be used to develop new strategies for preventing mosquito bites and potentially lead to improved insect repellent products that mask the odors mosquitoes are attracted to. So they could actually, if they can figure out 
which are the odors that that the mosquitoes uh, are sort of sensing, and they're the ones that they favor, then they can work mm. out ways of sort of having uh, you know anti anti acid uh, insect repellent. You know, new 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 versions of Aerogard, I suppose, is what they're really looking at. Um, but one of the things I think that uh, you know the, the the bad news is, um, I think that uh, what it really means is if you are the kind of person who mosquitoes are attracted to, uh, there's probably not a lot you can do to change that. It's it's kind of going to be a genetic thing that's sort of built in to your genes um, and you're not really going to be able to change it. So hopefully they will develop some way of, of masking those delicious uh, odours from, from the, uh, the, the, mos- the mosquitoes will not be able to detect them. I was going to ask if, because if, if it's skin acids, could you either a clean yourself really well, um, so that you've got like you know sweet smelling skin or something, or wash yourself with bicarb soda or something um, to neutralise the acid? But I guess the problem there that would produce carbon dioxide, which also attracts them, so that's probably not going to help. Well, that's the thing. It's you know this is this is one way that the mosquitoes detect things. They can actually detect a whole range of different things. So they can detect temperature changes and carbon dioxide and all these other things. So. It's not it's not going to solve all of the mosquito bites in the world, but it might help, you know, and I think probably that's a, that's a, something to look forward to is that they might be able to figure out some way of masking those delicious smells. I think we're lost. We're not lost. Not even any short-range radio signals yet? Except for a single, very powerful radio emission. Of course, a transmitter of that sort isn't exactly standard equipment. Science and technology must be absolutely mind-boggling. Of course, that's uh, it's mostly on the theoretical side. What's so far? Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Okay, yes, you're listening to Lost in Science. Now, I actually thought I had, like I said, an earth-shattering breakthrough until Stu said we might have discovered why mosquitoes bite some people and not others. And <laughs> I mean, that sounds, that sounds pretty, pretty good to me as well. Um, but yeah, look, I'm talking about superconductors and superconductors do have great potential. Now we've discussed on the, the bit in the show on the past. I think last year, Catriona was talking to us about magnetic levitation. Um, and you know, those high speed trains that work on levitation, they usually use superconductors to get very powerful magnets um of course with things like very powerful magnets you can get good you know medical devices out of that and then there's of course things like electricity transmission a lot of uh energy is lost in the transmission of electricity uh and if we had superconducting cables then it would greatly improve our efficiency and this has been used in places uh there is the most famously the german city of essen has a one kilometer cable in its city center that basically um was quite an expensive thing to install but it avoided the cost of building a third substation in an area where there was very not much room to build another substation so it's kind of like a, a you know, a toss up between, you know, an expensive, difficult to to manage superconductor versus, uh, yeah, a new substation where you don't really have room for it. Uh, but the thing that makes the superconductors so difficult and hard to use at the moment, though, is that you have to keep them very, very cold. 
are cryogenically cold. And yeah, so it's not just a, a little cable that you pop in the ground. You actually have to maintain it at that low temperature. So what, what sort of temperatures are you talking there? Well, the modern, what they call high temperature superconductors are um, around about minus 200 degrees Celsius is the, the ones that are commonly available. So which is, um, can be cooled by liquid nitrogen. So they're not too bad um, from that point of view because liquid nitrogen is available. But, but but presumably quite expensive to keep that at that temperature while you're using well, it. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. That, that's the thing. So, look, just to, I guess, look, we really understand what's going on here. We need to talk a bit about how these things work. So, in a normal conductor, you have electrons, obviously, are carrying the electric charge, and they bounce around from atom to atom. So, metals have a lot of electrons that are around the, sort of, the right sort of quantum energy state um, on the atom that they can basically jump for, into kind of a free state and that's shared between atoms and they can move around from one atom to another. But of course, as they do that, they jump between states, they generate heat, they give off energy and they, they generate heat. So it is not a, a perfect process. And that's what gives us resistance. That's why, you know, why is heat up when they have a, a high current through them? But long time ago, over a century ago, it was discovered that close to absolute zero, something very strange happens. Now, this was first observed in 1911 in mercury, uh, which, of course, is a metal that's liquid at room temperatures. And what was discovered is that the electric resistance goes to zero at those very low temperatures, close to absolute zero. And this is in um, in metals like this. So, but at, at, at close to absolute zero, is mercury a solid in that state? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, not everyone agrees with the theory of of how it happens, but the main theory is that the electrons in the material kind of, they pair up into what's called Cooper pairs. And when it's at their very low temperatures, they can move as a fluid between, kind of in the channels between the atoms, if you want to think of it that way. So it's quite a different process to how normal conduction works. It's not being passed from atom to atom. They're like a, a, a fluid that's flowing through the material. And so that means they have other strange properties too. And one of the, um, the most notable is something called the Meissner effect. And this is where they essentially repel magnetic fields or expel magnetic fields. Uh, inside a superconductor, there is no magnetic field. Right. The, the properties of superconductors eliminate the magnetic field inside them. So they're quite different to normal conductors. That's, that's the important thing to remember. They're, they're, not, they're not the case of you just got a perfect conductor. They are a different concept of the way they conduct electricity. But yeah, those are, that's a, a property of metals when they're close to absolute zero. But in the 1980s, these high temperature superconductors high temperature being a relative term they were discovered and they use various kind of methods like different kinds of combinations of material to achieve this state i think there's a lot of copper based ones and and that sort of thing um but recently there's been a lot of interest in hydrogen based superconductors now the theories that predict that at very high pressures Hydrogen, which is, of course, the lightest element and is a gas normally, um, at very high pressures, it becomes a superconducting metal. That is extremely high, temp high pressures. Um, and some people claim to have achieved those pressures, but that has been disputed. More on that later. 
But you can do better if you have alloys of hydrogen. These are things called hydrides, where you combine other elements in there. And they can work in less extreme conditions. So there was uh, one discovered in 2015 that worked at minus 70 degrees Celsius and a pressure of 155 gigapascals, which is quite high. But the latest discovery, which was published in the journal Nature in uh, at the end of February, I think it was, um, was working at 21 degrees Celsius and a pressure of one gigapascal. So um, basically room temperature and high pressure, but a lot lower than it was previously. Um, one gigapascal is about 10,000 times atmospheric pressure. Um, but apparently in the high pressure physics community, that's considered almost, almost, um, you know, ambient conditions. <laughs> almost normal. Yeah. Now this was made by a team at the University of Rochester in New York State in America, um, led by someone called Ranga Diaz. And what they did is they got a, a thin foil of a rare earth metal called lutetium. Um, they squeezed it in a diamond vice. So basically it's a, a vice or an anvil made out of diamonds because it can withstand the high pressures. And they injected in a mix of hydrogen and nitrogen gas. I think it's about 99% hydrogen, 1% nitrogen. And they put the pressure up to um, two gigapascals and baked it at 200 degrees Celsius for about three days. And it turned into a kind of bright blue crystal. And when they ease off the pressure, this bright blue crystal remained. But when they put, turned the pressure back up again, um, the blue crystal turned pink and the, uh, the resistance went to zero, turned into a superconductor. And it worked best at, as I said, 21 degrees Celsius and at a pressure of one gigapascal. Um, which is, I think it's still higher than the pressure at the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean. But still, it's it's the achievable pressure. And apparently all their measurements showed that it repelled uh, magnetic fields, which as I said, is one of the properties, the notable properties of superconductors. So it all sounds pretty amazing. Um, but as I said, there are doubts about this. Um, and the main reason is this same group uh, published a study a, uh, in 2020 um, on a different related substance. It was like carbonaceous sulfur hydride. Um, so it's got carbon and sulfur in it. And that one was not as extreme. It worked at 14 degrees Celsius, which is you know, still pretty high, but a pressure much higher of 267 gigapascals. So hundreds of times higher pressure um, than the later sample. Um, and that one caused a stir at the time. But then there were questions raised about some peculiarities in the data. Um, when the raw data was obtained, the methods they use seemed to be a bit peculiar and were inconsistent with what was described in the published paper. And so the paper was actually retracted last year by the journal Nature. It was also published in the journal Nature. Uh, and since then, people have been going over work by Diaz and Diaz's collaborators, um, including finding alleged plagiarism in his PhD thesis, uh, and I mentioned that um, before metallic hydrogen um, that had been claimed to be achieved. It was DS's group who had claimed to achieve metallic hydrogen in their diamond anvil back a few years ago. And again, people doubted that too. And this was before the latest scandal. 
so there's a bad track record here. Um, but they're insisting that they've done everything properly this time and that this has gone through a lot of peer review. They said they're under a lot of scrutiny from, from Nature um, because it's published in the same journal. And obviously, Nature is one of the most prestigious journals, has this reputation to uphold. Um, so they claim that, that they've gone through more scrutiny than anyone else on this topic. But that doesn't stop other people from, I guess, being a bit sceptical about it. No, I mean, I guess the the ultimate test would be if someone else can replicate the results, I suppose. But it's, yeah. Well, that's a good question. So the previous one that was in 2020, that uh, one of the issues with that was that people, no one could replicate that result. So also the other issues that, that was that a lot of people tried and could not replicate it. Um, and you're right, these does need to be replicated. Now, that is a little bit difficult because uh, DS and his crew are trying to commercialize this material. Um, their process is proprietary, although they claim that you can figure it out from their paper. Um, but they're not providing, they're not going to let people come and see their laboratory. They're not providing samples to anyone else, that sort of thing. Um, although, uh, look, I've read a lot of articles about this. There was an investigation done by the, um, the magazine Quanta and they actually threw out some question marks around the, the funding of their commercialization as well. So I don't know. I don't want to like, you know, um, defame anyone here, but let's be, it does, it's, it, there is a lot of kind of bold claims and a lot of um, kind of inconsistencies, even with things like how much money they have and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, look, this latest discovery, uh, it also is, it's worth noting that it's also quite inconsistent with the theories behind um, superconduction. Now, as I said, not everyone agrees with those theories, but apparently with some of these other um, hydrides that have been developed, they work, they agree very well with the, the model predictions and they can be modeled quite accurately. Um, now, DS has got his own kind of things put forward of why it may not be obeying the theories, but also... Look, I guess you can you can put that up. You can look at it either way. I mean, if it's inconsistent with our understanding of the theory, that could be a red flag that something is not right with the research. But it could also mean that they have gone beyond the theory and they are, you know, we need to update the models, um, which we're going to need to do if we're going to get these kind of um, superconductors that work at ambient conditions because the theory is not telling us how to get those type of superconductors. So if they've done something that's beyond what the theory is predicting, that could be a good thing. Um, but look... I don't know, my attitude to a lot of these kind of out there technological claims is that if they work, then time will tell. You know, in a few years' time, we'll have room temperature superconductors. We'll be all flying around on our levitating trains and all will be good. And if it doesn't work, then it will probably just fade away. Um, so, yeah, I guess time will tell on that. As I said, though, the stakes are pretty high with something like this. This is like a, a very big discovery if it's real. It's just, um, yeah. Well, I think we're going to, have to all wait and see how it, um, how it pans out. Mm. Yeah. And that's it for another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded for 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. 
we would love you to get in touch with us. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook where Lost in Science on 3CR or on Twitter where we're at Lost in Science 1. You can find us on your favourite podcast app where if you get the chance, please give us a good rating and review as that will raise us up in the search ranking so other people can find the science. Or you can listen to us however you listen to us now, where at the same time every week, Claire, Stu and Chris get Lost in Science! Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.